The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. The Crossman Conversation is hosted by John Crossman. John's heart is to see our community of leaders unite around what we have in common. John will be joined by political leaders, religious leaders, as well as activists making a difference in our nation. Here is your host for the Crossman Conversation, John Crossman. Hello, this is John Crossman, and welcome to the Crossman Conversation. Mike. We are back again. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Listen, before we get started, I got a, got a quick story for you. Okay. This is really quick, all right? Very fast. I'm just telling you. Well, you know- Is uh, it over yet? No, it, I'm no. almost there. Oh, okay, all right. So, you know, I, uh, I love HBCUs. You know that, right? I do know and that. And I talk about it that all the time. I was recently on a flight- uh, from uh, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Nice couple sitting next to me. Gal had a, a the gentleman had an army hat on. You know, I like military stuff, mm-hmm. and so I said, uh, "Hey, I like your hat." And we started talking. And where are you from? And they're from Natchez, Mississippi, and they were flying to the uh, FAMU Howard game. Oh, and I and I said, uh, "Oh, are you FAMU or Howard fans?" They're like, "No, we're fans of Alcorn State." And they were just supporting the conference. Like, isn't that wow, cool? You know, that's something. So I just have this heart and this space for HBCUs. That said, you know, you really can't do anything with HBCUs unless you have somebody that's taking care of, you know, 13 to 17 year olds. Right. Mm-hmm. And there are people out there that are looking out and helping out with that age group. And one of those groups is the house of Timothy. And we have their leader, oh, Willie Montague here with so us. Great. Willie, thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you a little bit. Uh, before we talk about the ministry work you're doing, uh, first off, you're originally from North Carolina? Correct. Yep. Now, uh, this is a controversial question. I want you to be ready for this, okay? What is your stance on barbecue? <laughs> Are you more of a North Carolina traditionalist, or what, how does that work? Yes, we have the best barbecue. Oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Someday we just need to have a big comparison of all. It's more vinegar-based, right, yes, in Carolina? absolutely. Yeah. Okay, all right. A little but, more spice. A little more spice. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm down with that. I'm cool with that. And then uh, you actually went to kind of a famous school in Oklahoma, is that right? Yep, Rama. Rama Bible College. And, and Mike, Hagen you're Mike, you're familiar with that. Right? I am. Yeah, Kenneth Hagen. Yeah. So one of mm-hmm. your guys, or some of your some of your know of uh, know about him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty successful guy. So you kind of did that path, and mm-hmm. then came to Florida. Correct. Mm-hmm. And you're working with the House of Hope. Is that right? I was yep. at that time. Yeah. Back in this was back in 2015. So yep. you've had this exposure to young people and, and maybe at risk or Correct. having some challenges since they had heart for that. Mm-hmm. And then you branched out and you launched uh, house, house of Timothy. So right. tell us like what caused that to happen? What's going on in your year? Like I'm going to launch this. Well, I, I'll back up to a, a personal story. Uh, really it stemmed from my brother. My brother was um, in that category as at risk youth. He uh, had been since, you know, being raised up and getting in trouble in school then it started with the marijuana that led to heroin, and he recently got out maybe about three months ago after spending mm. about seven years in prison. Wow. So when I moved to Oklahoma, I didn't, it wasn't, the concept of House of Timothy was there, um, and I just started working with some of the teens there, letting them come to the house, just teaching them and, and, and building them up with scriptures. And then when I moved here to Oklahoma, I, when I moved here to Florida, I realized that a lot of those that was aging out in uh, House of Hope, once they turned 18, that there was no place for him to go. So originally we actually started out for ages 18 and 25. Um, and then that's when we we went down as low as seven at one point because of how many parents was coming about the need for their sons to really have some some help because of the cry, or most of it being the absence of a father. 
Wow. And so you're stepping in and helping play that role. Absolutely. Yes. Some broad shoulders you got there, both literally and figuratively. (laughs) That's a big thing. So what's inside you that's making you say, I want to, I want to do this with my life. Um, me personally, my, my brother and I both, you know, had the absence of a father. And so I look at it that, um, even when I, you know, I've adopted, uh, two, two young men that was part of our program. And in that process, I realized that everyone, especially these young men deserve to have a father figure, a mentor, someone that can help them to develop and be cultivated. Uh, today's society is, is so rough. There's so much, so many things that are out there that, um, can really twist the thinking of men. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, um, it is up to us to, uh, as men, to instill those godly principles. And I believe that it, it begins with, if it's nothing but one, you know, it takes a village. And if it's one person is still in it, one can reach 10, 12, and it just spreads that way. So that's that's my heart. That's in my passion, uh, my motivation to do it. And, you know, when I got that call to do it, first, I didn't want to do it right. um, because um, I always grew up around older people. So I thought that the youth and the teens would not listen to me at all. Um, and so when I was at Rama, actually, <laughs> I was sitting there at a, at a youth event and just felt that in my heart, it was like the Lord was saying, you're, you're called to work with youth. And I was like, no, no way. And I remember, uh, you know, hitting someone on the side. I was like, well, God, God's giving me this, uh, this burning passion. I didn't know how it was going to happen. Um, and it unfolded from there to now. And like I said, it's been about 15 years. Wow. it's awesome. I, um, I heard this quote recently and it, it's kind of stuck with me and, and I don't, I agree with it in sense, but there's more to it. And the quote goes like this, once a boy realizes that no one's going to save him, that's when he becomes a man. Mm -hmm. And if a boy never realizes that, never really become a man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't mean to imply like not respecting, you know, Jesus and respect on that. On the other hand, there is a level of like learning how to take personal responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, not to get too churchy, Willie, (laughs) (laughs) but I was in my Bible study. We're talking about Gideon and how Gideon went to war and God was with him. And I was reflecting on that, like, man, I, I got to go to war. God's mm-hmm. with me, but I can't hang out in the tent and hope it works out. I, gotta, I still got to right. go to war, Absolutely. right? And so there's an internal turmoil I have within me in, mm-hmm. in seeking peace, but also having to do the hard work. And so if I know God's with me, and then I also know other men are with me, they believe right. in me, and if it all blows up, they'll sit with me, right? right. But it starts, and what I'm trying to say is, like, uh, the world's a rough place. It is. Very mm-hmm. rough. And, and, and if you don't have understanding of like how to deal with that roughness and get some comfort, well then people turn to drugs or they turn to escapism or, you know, pornography or something where they're just trying to medicate out. Mm. And of course it just gets worse from there. Right. Am I I getting that path right? Right. And that's, and that's where we fall in, you know, to play with house of Timothy. Um, House of Timothy is, uh, is a residential program. So it's 12 months. Uh, They come, they live with us. And most of them just do not have that structure. And we have to teach accountability and responsibility because most of them have dealt with the fact that, you know, I can't do, I can't do. Or someone says, hey, you know, let me hand you this until you turn 18. And then, you know, it's up to you to figure it out. Whereas at House of Timothy, we focus really on development and and, and cultivation. And it's important that the mindset is changed. And that's that's where we come in. If you get the mindset changed. And it begins with then it changes into the heart and then you begin to take action. And that's where we'll stop having, you know, this this prison ratio or, you know, this death ratio or drug ratio that is you know, extremely high in this country. 
Um, it all starts, I believe, with the mindset, and, and we just need strong individuals that don't mind. And one thing about our organization, you know, we're, we we consider ourselves militaristic. You know, we're you know we're not there to to babysit. We're there to make sure that they understand that you know you can be the man of change and um, of of nobility and character. That's a big deal. I mentioned that couple on the flight, and you know, you get to talk to people. They talked about a young man they mentored, and it was their son's best friend. And they found out that he wasn't getting fed and they started like break sending two lunches to school and stuff like that. And so when you hear stories about that, like things like that happening and then how does that then impact a person? So having the structure and knowing to work and uh, right. all that's really important, right? Right. We see that often. I mean, I went to some of these schools here in Orange County where they're title one schools mm-hmm. and um, you hear the stories of, of, you know, these teachers coming to me and said, Willie, you know, can you stay a little longer, work with this young man? And here it is. You know, the parents are either on drugs or they're living out of the hotel or they're living in a car. And some of these these kids are coming to school in their sister's clothes or their little brother clothes. So they're too small. They're not able to take, you know, uh, take care of their uh, their hygiene. Um, and, and yet they have to show up to school and learn. And so they, you know, as you said, sometimes that's the only meal that they may even get is even getting to school. If they can get to school on time, if they're not being bussed in. And so it's very important to just, you know, take a step back sometime and look and see that it starts at such a young age when there's, when, when it's not enough village individuals there and it can just spiral. And then, you know, they habits, you know, humans are, are, um, creatures of habit and that develops in their mindset. That's why I go back to um, getting hold of them at a young age so that you can get that mindset developed. Mike, um, you and I have a mutual friend. Um, um, not going to say his name, but is a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And he told us one time, if you remember this, about how um, he had a kid that was getting picked up by a dad. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? I do remember. And the dad yeah. wasn't on the list, and so they needed proof it was his dad, and he had no ID. Yeah. And so finally he, what he pulled up was his mugshot, and so that oh, they were able yeah. to pull it up and yeah. prove he was who it was. But, I mean, can you imagine being that kid? Yeah. And that's your dad, and, like, mm-hmm. that's your story. When my dad yeah. picked me up, that's the only form of identification, wow. right? Right. And so you know, sometimes there's the absence of it and then mm-hmm. sometimes there's a presence of something and you're having to work kind of with all that. Right. Right. right? Yeah, we do. We have a, a, we have a mixed bag. We have, um, you know, we have the background of prison. We have the background of absence. So, and we see it on both sides, mother, right. father. And we just, we simply just realize that, um, you know, these teen boys are in the middle of it and that's where the behaviors come from. And um, so we get so many that's come. In fact, we, we get phone calls from all over, um, as far as um, actually we had one kid supposed to come from Ukraine um, wow. because of just the level of, you know, so many programs do not want to take that level of 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 teen boys because they're like at high level of risk, at high level of um, anger and frustration. And and some programs are just not able to maintain. And that's what I proud ourselves in, that we're able to work with those uh, high risk uh, teens and, you know, be a, a change and a difference. So. Gotcha. Well, Willie, I want to take a break. And then when we come back, what I want to dive into you is like, help me just take me through the day of the life of a, of a, a young man going through the program. And then I want to talk a little bit more about like uh, what goes on after you let him go. Because I can't right. imagine that's going to be kind of hard for you. You sort of right. pour into him and then you got to release him. Right. Mm-hmm. Jeez, that's a big deal. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back here at the Crossman Conversation. As the largest property tax practice in North America, Ryan's professionals possess the local footprint and knowledge backed by a team with national expertise to help organizations minimize their property tax liabilities and ensure valuations are fair and accurate. 
With the Florida tax appeal deadlines approaching rapidly, local experts at Ryan work proactively with many jurisdictions across Florida well in advance of the August trim notice mailing to ensure our clients receive maximum tax savings. Guys, I use Ryan, and I hope you will too. Crossmark Services is a commercial real estate firm offering a wide range of professional services, including advisory, brokerage and leasing, investing, and property management. Our staff comprises the industry's most seasoned professionals who possess the needed knowledge in real estate investments, analysis, and portfolio management to drive growth. See how Crossmark can work for you. That's CrossmarkServices.com. I'd like to thank Maynard Cooper and Gale PC for being a sponsor of our program. Maynard is a full-service law firm with over 350 attorneys and 14 offices nationally to serve with professional excellence in everything from corporate and business matters to day-to-day legal issues. The office in Central Florida focuses its practice in real estate, corporate transactions and organization, banking and finance, along with trust and estates. To learn more, visit MaynardCooper.com. This is John Crossman, and I work with a lot of vendors in the commercial real estate industry. And I got to tell you, one of my favorite ones ever is my friends over at Construction Unlimited, Florida's premier roofing company, and they bridge the craftsmanship with the pinnacle of innovation. They're just one of the best groups because of the trust, the expertise, the quality, and my favorite part, they're really committed to the community. When you're thinking about roofing construction needs, keep Construction Unlimited at the top of your list. Once again, here is John Crossman. We are back here at the Crossman Conversation with Willie Montague with the House of Timothy. And during the break, Willie, you were just talking about how Memphis barbecue was the best. And I thought that was an interesting point that you made. No, no. Still North Carolina. <laughs> I, uh, I've got, we've got a good friend. John Martinez is a common guest in the show. And he's from Memphis and he won't shut up about Memphis barbecue. So we have to bring, and we've had John Rivers on here. So we've had oh, yeah. from all sides. Also, yeah. I just have to have a Texas brisket. Expert. Yeah, I was going to say you haven't had my son on from from Dallas. Yeah, right. Brisket, brisket, there you go. and then we'd have the the, the totally trinity of barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> like we have to have a, a potluck. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's what needs to happen. Well, I want you to talk a little bit about um, just the day of a life. You know, so well, let me, let me first say this: how did the how did the kids find you? How how did they get to you in the first place? So um, it's several ways. Um, the the main way is DCF. So oftentimes, if some of the the kids are with uh, in a lockout status and lockout is simply meaning that they're not able to physically go back home because of their behaviors. And so they have to, um, the parents are responsible to set up for them to go to some form of a program, um, you know, to get that assistance that they need. So that's one way. The other way is um, just, you know, word of mouth or programs referrals. And oftentimes we, we get that. So it's rare that we actually just get it. Someone just said, Hey, I was just searching online. Often it's referrals. And that's probably about 90% of how these young men come to us. You know, one thing's interesting, um, and um, I don't, I've never told Mike this story, but I was involved in helping out in a situation where there had been um, some domestic violence. And when I got to the house and dealing with the situation, um, a gun had been fired, and so there was shell casings like that. So when the cops came, and then I didn't know this, DCF came, and then DCF contacted me because I had been there afterwards. And they said that we saw there was evidence that a child had been in the home. And so they wanted to make sure the child was safe. And I'm like, this all makes sense. And so I, they said, where do you know where the kid goes to school? And I said, Lake Highland Prep. And the woman DCF said, what's that? 
And I thought to myself, man, isn't that interesting? Like yeah. she has no awareness of the right. of the wealthiest school. She didn't know right. what the name of it was, right? right? And so I was like, geez. And so that doesn't mean that violence doesn't happen and aren't bad right. situations. There are. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, it, the, those, those systems, those things connect together. So uh, that's the sort of onboarding where they come in. So once they're in, tell me through the a day of the life of a young man with working with you. Um, so once they get in, we we have it structured. It says the twelve month program, but we have it structured in five phases. Uh, so when they initially come in, we call it the orientation phase, or as I like to call it, the consecration phase. Um, so they come in, and that's thirty days. In that thirty day window, we do not. Um, there's no contact with the parents. There's no contact with your know, outside world. And when they first come, just to clarify, there's no cell phones. We don't allow cell phones. We don't allow none of those things. So when they come in that first 30 days is we get to know them. They get to know us. And it's like a detox, um, detox of their mind, detox of activities. And that's where we start to really find out where those behaviors came from and how we can help. And then they go into phase one all the way to home phase. And so um, the, they wake up at six o'clock in the morning and from six o'clock in the morning, all the way till nine o'clock at night, we have activities ranging from school. They do go to school with us. It is a private school. Um, and so we use the My Father's World curriculum there. So they do school with us. Um, also, they you know do boot camp. So they have to get up and do an hour of actual boot camp outdoors. And then we have, of course, the meals, you know, like any other program and life skills and people that come in to speak to them. Sometimes we have um, the chef department to come by and spend time with them and talk to them. In the community, we have a lot of community advocates that have come out and spent time with them. So it's pretty much the way that we have it set up. It is a home, so we, we try to step away from that institution feel. We want them not to feel like they're in another place because a lot of these kids come from the juvenile detention uh, center. And, of course, that's set up as, uh, you know, fluorescent lights and walking down, you know, the tile floors. So we want them to come to a place where they feel like is at home. So everything there is set up, big bags in the rooms, um, you know, uh, uh, bookshelves where they can be able to read and, the you know, outside uh, furniture so they can sit outside and meditate. So we have it set up in a home. And then uh, once they, they get out uh, of the program, we set up in the last three months, we start working on that phasing out process where we'll start reintroducing them to society. So that last three months is really us letting them go home more, letting them talk with the parents, letting them know. And they get to have uh, visitation and, and conversation with their parents through the week once they get to phase one and above. Uh, but when that last three months is really where we allow them to go home and stay the weekend and allow them to to interact with their family again, interact with the community um, and, and see how they do in that kind of setting. And so it's real interesting to see it. And we do see good results. We see how these... The kids just simply just needed to be separated from their surroundings at that time. And sometimes, um, you know, parents do what they can do. They're, they're right. parents. And then sometimes it just needs someone else to just say, hey, you know, let me let me let me handle this for 12 months. And we've seen a great uh, response. We have so many people from DCF to other uh, agencies that come in and, 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 and really just, you know, are amazed by how we have it set up. But it's really just ran by the heart of the boys because they they make it that family setting It's not. You know, just me is like they they want that they want to to feel loved and like a family and that this is a unit of brothers. So, so um, uh, I guess sometimes you see reconciliation with the family. That absolutely, must, that, that must is, be beautiful yeah, to see. Yes, absolutely. That is that is actually our number one thing. We do not want separation from the family. We believe that that's that's the issue of where some of these behaviors stem from. So whether it's their biological family or some of these kids, most we, we've had at least three of them that are from the adopt, uh, adoption process or in the foster care. And so we try to just bring restoration and we show them that family. And it's very important 
because they need that. And a lot of them, you know, feel lost because they feel, you know, tossed to and fro, especially when they're old enough to know that they were adopted um, or they were adopted at a later age. Um, you know, it, it, it hits a little hard and you can see that trauma, you know, come forward in some of the ways they respond. But once you start working again on that mindset and letting them know that they're loved, you know, it, then it all that confusion, because a lot of it's just confusion. They don't they don't know. You know, they couldn't ask the questions. They didn't know how to ask it. And in today's society, you know, as young men, it's like, you know, hold your emotion and don't say. And then that's when we, you know, end up with the phone calls because they're acting out based off of their the lack of um, being able to communicate their trauma. I got a lot of questions now. <laughs> so, um, uh, but sometimes they probably shouldn't go home, right? Sometimes it's not safe there. Or, right. Or that's mm-hmm. where the toxicity came from. Right. And most of those cases are where DCF has already been involved. Yeah. And so um, in that in that case, they, they find programs or other places that they go or other family members that are safe for them to go. Um, and of course, with my heart, that's why, you know, we don't, we, once 12 months is up, we do not make them leave. So, you know, if they're, they haven't reached um, 18, you know, they're welcome to stay. And, uh, you know, we had a young man that basically that was going to be his, you know, his end result. We're just do whatever we can do to keep him there, you know, as long as he's maintaining his behavior. So we're not there to say, hey, 12 months is up. You got to go. It's, it's however long it takes for us to really work with him. So how does this hit you, man? I, I got to thank you just as a man, as a human. You're meeting with somebody, some some boy and a young man. And he tells you some story that's just horrific. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard things that right. are crazy and, and painful. And then you work with them and they get stronger and then they leave. I mean, how, how how's Willie feeling through all this? It's yeah, got to be a lot on you, man. It, it is. I mean, there is times where, you know, it's it's a, a satin part because you watch their growth. And, um, and, and I personally, my own personal life, that's something that I always, I saw myself come up in my life. You know, I, I go from, you know, getting things started when I was young. I was always young in ministry, young and trying to do business things. And now, you know, just had a birthday just, you know, early this week and turning 36. And I look back and I was like, man, I just wish someone could see that growth. And that's that's the part that allows me to push forward versus looking at it as like, man, they're gone. It's more like, wow, you know, someone didn't get to see that. Because so many people, when they come in, that's their issue too. They're like, you know, no one believes in me. No one loves me. No one, you know, no one wants to see me do well. They think I'm going to do bad and so when someone can sit back and look at it, because I can tell you um, of the many stories of just growth and, and you know, from them walking in to like, this is not going to work to, to, you know, six months down the road and like, wow, you know, like this, this is impressive. Like you really made every effort to change. And so that that's the joy that allows me. And I need that myself because, you know, I have to keep going even when they're gone. You know, we get phone calls, three or four phone calls sometimes in a day. Um, of of parents saying, you know, we heard, we heard, we heard how Timothy is the place for this, you know, this type of, uh, you know, behavior. And I'm like, yeah, we're, we're the place. And so it, it, it helps me to continue to go forward, even when I'm feeling like, you know, it's, you know, are we doing enough? Can we do more? And so just to watch their growth and you'll know, hear their stories. Or I got a message um, from one um, on Instagram the other the other day just was saying thank you. You know, like, you know, at that time I couldn't see it, but thank you for being there. And, and now they're off, you know, getting ready to get married and, and doing, you know, doing great things. And I'm like, wow, you know, that was over a process of, of seven years. And then wow. able to come back and say, you know, you know, look at me now. Thank you for what you instilled in me at that time. So, you know, that helps me to go forward. So that's probably uh, every time you hear back, it's probably like 20 fold that yes. it actually helped. That's pretty powerful. We're going to wrap up in just a couple of minutes. Before we do, people listen to this and they're like, man, that guy, Willie's doing cool stuff. How can I help? 
can people donate? Can they volunteer time? Can they volunteer resources? How, how can people get plugged in and what you're doing? Well, donations, of course. <laughs> you can go to houseoftimothy.org. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, we do not get any you know, government funding, so we do depend on individuals and community um, support. And, of course, we need volunteers. We're working on some major projects for 2024 um, such, uh, such as, you know, gardening and things around the house. So we've been blessed to have people help us get the house painted. But as I said, we're in a home. So imagine, you know, if it was your home and you had, you know, six kids in a house, just imagine what are the things that's needed. That's how I, uh, you know, give that analogy. It's like if, if, if you need it at your house, we probably need it at ours. So if you, you think of dishes and sometimes just extra clothes that some of these um, young men do not have or, you know, any of those things like that, furniture, dressers, all those things like that may be, um, things that we can use and uh, put into those rooms because we are looking at expanding in 2024 because we're running out of space. So. Let's let's do this. Let's make this one one commitment. I'll make. I mean, first off, I think what you doing is awesome, and however we can help you, want to help you, and help people listening, so we'll find a way to help you. What hit me is like, let's make a commitment right now. If you want some uh, uh, FAMU Bethune Cookman swag, if that's something you're interested in, nice. Okay. Let's let's talk about that because maybe. Uh, maybe you could send me some sizes of shirts or stuff like that. Okay. Maybe I could just get us some, you know what I mean? Like nice polo, right. whatever, a family of Bethune Cookman. And yeah, I think sometimes like I remember somebody gave me a, an SMU t-shirt when I was in middle school and I didn't go to SMU, but it got me thinking about college. Like, mm. what is that? You know? Right. And maybe that's a fun thing. So having some clothes for him, but maybe yeah. it's like themed not to get too HBCU pushing <laughs> on you really. Uh, but that's something you're interested in. But, but somebody else, like if somebody else is listening, they're like, like Mike here, like loves the Gators, but like Mike and Mike, it don't, don't, don't uh, go ahead. Say what you're going to say. <laughs> I know what he's going to say, but, but like if Mike was like, Oh, you know, I love the Gators. I'm going to donate some UF t-shirts or I'm going to do something like that. Like you're always going to need more clothes. Right. Right. So if people think about that, like if you're passionate about something, give from your passion. God loves Absolutely. a cheerful giver. So, right. So give from your and we don't and we don't turn anything away. You know, people show up. You know, we we've had people you know roll up with coolers of of you know meat and and different you know food because again it's three meals a day. <laughs> so yeah. you know to feed. So again, you know anything that you feel led upon your heart. Um, those that are listening to to donate and whatever you have, you know, we're welcoming and we're grateful for. That's it. really cool. Like I guess a church could adopt and bring pizza every Friday if they wanted to yes. or something like that. Yes, that'd be cool. <laughs> I like that. Well, Willie Montague, I believe in you. I believe in you, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for what you're doing to make the community better, and I really appreciate you coming and spend some time with us. Thank you for having me. And the barbecue debate will continue. <laughs> it will continue. All right, um, this is uh, John Crossman with the Crossman Conversation, and as always, support your local HBCU. This has been Crossman Conversation, produced by a Crossman Career Builders Mark Radio Production. <laughs>